Welcome to DLN Extend. We choose topics covered by the Destination Linux Network that we think needs further discussion and extend the conversation here. These include Destination Linux, Ask Noah, Linux for Everyone, This Week in Linux, Das Geek, Tux Digital, and Zebedee Boss Gaming. I'm Nate, Linux fitness and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. And I'm Eric, a web technologist, Linux, and open source aficionado, and all-around tech guy. So Nate, what have you been up to this week? Well, I think last time we talked, I think we ta- I was talking about my Christmas light display that is all Linux. And when we talked, I had it all set up and, and so forth. But since we last talked, I did finally complete everything out. I did a, you know, a bunch more work of kind of refining it, tying some you know cords down, adding a lot of extra lights. After finishing up my display, I went for a, a drive around town. And there is somebody that has me beat. They look like they have the same sort of pixel display, but they're really pretty awesome. Time to music. They have a tune into this station and, and so forth. And my oldest boy says, wow, dad, theirs is a lot cooler than yours. Oh, man. There you go. All that time and effort. <laughs> it was a learning experience. You knew that you were going to have a threshold of sort of learning the hardware, learning the software, building the lights out. I mean. You've learned a lot of the lessons to extend it out. And also you've said that you want to use it for more holidays than just Christmas. So I, I think you have opportunity to improve. And you know what? It's like anything, right? You can have like a Christmas lights arm race, <laughs> arms race, and you just know somewhere somebody's going to outdo you. And um, I, th- I, I think I'd be pretty happy with what uh, the pictures you've shown that I've seen. I mean, they, they look like you've done a nice job. And that was when you were just getting started. So you've probably done more than that at this point. Yeah, I haven't shared it. I haven't shared a, the latest uh, image of it. But I think it does look really good. It's very nice. It's, it's subtle, the, the animations that I have, so it doesn't drive anybody nuts. Now I see somebody else has a display that can drive people nuts. And, and I'm, I feel like I've fallen behind already. But you're right. It's a learning experience. I got to learn the hardware, all the work that goes into wiring it together, making it talk properly, and so forth. So... I'm uh I'm pretty happy with it. Excellent. And you know what it is? It is it's the starting point. If it makes you happy, then that's all that really counts, right? It's the holiday spirit, man. That's right. So I've been continuing my search for the best cinnamon desktop experience, and what kicked it off was Linux Mint 19.3 Trisha beta was released. And so I've been running that as my primary desktop for about a week now. And it's pretty fantastic. You know, I've always been a fan of Mint. And one of the biggest reasons that I couldn't use it well was this laptop and hybrid graphics. So because it's the 1804 Ubuntu LTS base, the packages and the video drivers and the kernel and all of that sort of stuff just didn't work well on this system. But with 19.3, they have included the 435 driver for NVIDIA and the 5.0 kernel. And it's just running quite happily right now. So, um, and in terms of the cinnamon desktop experience, obviously mint has the, what I would consider sort of the flagship or the most, they, they build cinnamon. So, I mean, that makes sense that they would have the, uh, the best implementation of it. But along with that search, I've been looking at Fedora has a spin. So Fedora 31, there's a cinnamon spin, which is pretty fantastic. I have to say it's probably the most complete version of cinnamon outside of mint that I've come across and it works particularly well on this laptop. So that's that's another option. I also looked at OpenSUSE Tumbleweed as well and uh, took a look at that. Well, and, that and, sounds cool. 
Yeah, I thought maybe you'd be happy to hear that. Yeah. It also is a pretty good implementation. It's not complete in that I have to change out some things like Cinnamon uses the light DM login manager and by default, it's not set up properly on the implementation under OpenSUSE, but fairly minor things. The X apps, so along with Cinnamon, there's a set of applications that Mint creates and and distributes called the X apps, and it's uh, XED, which is the editor, XViewer. So there's some specific applications that when you run Mint, you get those, and they'll just sort of work really well with the Cinnamon desktop. Although there's no reason you can't use the, you know, Eye of the Gnome and some of those other things as well. So uh, it's GTK based. Anything that's GTK based fits well. So I'm continuing that running Mint right now. Pretty happy with it, but uh, I really like Cinnamon and like to see how different distributions have implemented it. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's given me a reason to try some some different things that I haven't tried in a little while. So what is it about Cinnamon specifically that really gets you excited? So I had been using uh, GNOME for over a month, almost two months, and just it kept crashing on me. I mean, that's the short story is I just, it, it would crash out on me. I would lose everything. All of my apps would close. And, and I mean, I could reliably get it to crash by changing sound sources and pulse. And it, I was just really unhappy about how it was working, but I really enjoyed the desktop paradigm and, and, the, and GTK uh, versus uh, QT or Qt. So Cinnamon is kind of like the middle ground for me between Plasma and something like GNOME. It's more like a traditional desktop paradigm. It has a you know system tray with app icons, and it has you know sort of all of the things that you would expect out of a traditional desktop experience. It has a lot of configurability in terms of being able to customize things, but maintain somewhat sort of sane defaults and not overwhelm you with choice, like sometimes is the case in Plasma. Uh, it also includes Nemo, which is a pretty solid file manager. So in a comparison to something like Nautilus or GNOME files or whatever, it's just, to me, it's much more capable. It's a pleasant experience. I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed Linux Mint. And like I said, the reason I couldn't run it before was because they run off of an LTS base. And this laptop in particular, just up till now, did not run very well. So for you, it's kind of like a like an old glove, something that's comfortable to put on, and you're always happy to hang out there of sorts. Yeah, it's it's hard to say exactly what it is, but there's something about the way that it presents the information, the desktops themselves, virtual desktops, the tiling of the apps. It all just sort of fits together in a way that stays out of my way, but yet is still pleasing to use. Is you know not only visually but functionally appealing. The best praise I could give it is it just it lets me do what I want to do and doesn't get in my way. Yeah, I find that definitely a, a desktop that doesn't suit me is a miserable experience. It just makes for not, make it takes the joy out of using a computer and and once the joy is gone, it's not that computer's just not for me anymore. But well cool. I I need to try cinnamon again because it's been quite a while and and I think that hearing you talk about it does uh invite some some curiosity. Yeah, and the cinnamon experience on OpenSUSE is really pretty decent. So if you wanted to try it on a, you know, on a tumbleweed install and just see how it is, uh, it's, it's relatively new. It's the 4.2 release and uh, the new mint is 4.4. So it's slightly newer, but cinnamon doesn't, it's, it's a gradual change. So, I mean, if you're running anything for a newer, you're pretty much going to have the same experience. In the DLN community, Ryan added a new section, a job board. If you're out there either looking for a job or if you're aware of jobs, 
you can start to share this information. Hey, I'm looking for a job in whatever that is, or if there's a, a Linux job or something related to that that you are aware of, you can also post it on this category. It just opened up. There's you know nothing actually in there yet, but it's nice to know that this is a, a category where you can start to post things. I know there's people in the community that are looking for jobs, and, and it's been kind of a nice way to give them a place to look, check things out, and you know, just become aware. And this is an idea that I know that Michael and Ryan have talked about because having a community, part of that is knowing, you know, the members of the community and having a rapport with people. And also, so if you're in that position where you're hiring someone or looking for someone with a particular skill set and you already know them through a community, then you kind of have a sense of who they are and what they're about and the ability to sort of leverage some of that connected nature of the community and, and use that. Um, yeah. So the idea of, you know, looking for work, if you are out there and just saying, Hey, this is what I do, who I am, jobs available, if you've got something to post. And then another th- thing I thought was good was a resume help section. You can go for the approach of just put every single thing you've ever done on there. And if you're, depends on where you are in your career, but you can end up with just too much in my opinion or or stuff that isn't actually all that relevant to have the ability to sort of put that somewhere with other technical people who can maybe help you a little bit would be a good thing. I think the rule of thumb is you don't want your resume to be more than let's say a page or so, so that it's not a wall of text that just gets glossed over. That's what I've always been told. And that's the thing is there are people that are much more experienced at either getting jobs or hiring people. Uh, I mean, if there are people in a position where they are hiring to hear them explain to you what they are looking for in a resume, that, that would be helpful as well. One of the other things we wanted to point out in the discourse forum this week is the must have apps on any new Linux distro install. It's always fascinating to me because obviously we all have our own list of apps that we use and we all do different things. And so there's going to be a general use category of everybody's going to use a, a web browser and, you know, certain stuff like that and what, you know, their preferred audio player, things, things are along those lines. But then you start getting off into these specific use cases where people come up with things that are really interesting because I don't, you know, maybe it's not something I've ever used or maybe it is a task that I undertake in some way, but it's software I've never heard of. So these threads are always really interesting to me to, to see what people come up with and are they things that I use or have used or is it something some new treasure that's you know been <laughs> given to me because I found some really cool software through posts and interactions like this so uh, Nate what did you think of that I too found it interesting dark one was the uh, was can you remember that looks like kicked off the, the discussion and his uh, WPS office is was makes his list and I keep forgetting about that one and I've used it before and it, it works quite nicely but I just I found it interesting WPS office. And I'm curious to know what features does he really like in WPS Office. It's, it, it for me, it, it it created more intrigue, more uh, curiosity. And of course, you saw Steam and Lutris many times. Stefan, he has uh, InSync, which is one that I use. Um, you know, you see Quake, uh, I, Electron Mail. I never heard of Simple Notes, and that's one that I use also. I thought it was interesting. You know, the, the how much uh, crossover there is from my my list, and then. Astronaut Supplier, he, he actually broke his down into sections of tinkery stuff. Uh, I would like to waste my time and uh, got to help wife with computery stuff. And I thought that was, that was funny. Yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir, I am not paranoid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And then uh, Vinyl Ninja, he had a YouTube DL, which I even forgot to write that one down as one of mine. But yeah, YouTube DL is another great application that I, I use for home education type tasks. Well, ones I didn't see is Gnome Recipes. 
and even though I'm a Plasma user, I love GNOME recipes. It is such a great application for keeping all your recipes in one spot. And it's really nice. It's great with a touchscreen interface too. So um, and that, that was that was my my one. Oh, and also I put Fusion 360 on there, although not really, you know, a Linux application. But I use it through Lutris, and there's a couple of mine that I, I thought were really great. So, what about you? Do you have any do you have any applications that are just must have on on every Linux install? Yeah, and it's you you mentioned Quake and a drop down terminal is it's muscle memory for me now. Uh, I, I will still use a full terminal window for certain tasks if there's something ongoing that I'm doing, but almost always I'm using either Quake or Tilex or Yaquake on Plasma. If it's not there, I'm hitting F12 because that's where it, you know <laughs> that's what should happen when I hit F12, and when it doesn't appear, I'm slightly confused for a few seconds. So it is definitely one of the first things, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's one of the first things that I install. Uh, I need an FTP client, so FileZilla. There's a, a certain short list of things that just sort of has to be there on everything. Git. Um, you know, and I don't even really think about it anymore. I usually just install those things literally the first time I boot into a fresh install, and then just get on with my life. But like I said, a lot of this stuff, it's just not stuff that I see all the time because it's not stuff I use all the time. So it is interesting to see what people's lists are. And yeah, I have to definitely give a big shout out to uh, Astronaut Supplier for the, for the most comprehensive and entertaining list uh, in this thread. For sure. So this week on Destination Linux, uh, they talked about Ubuntu Touch runs on a Raspberry Pi. And everybody was really excited about it, except Noah, for some reason. And uh, personally, I thought it was pretty exciting because I'm aware of some other projects where they got a Raspberry Pi to be a telephone, although, you know, not exactly super functional. But the fact that Ubuntu Touch can run on, on a Raspberry Pi now so they can take that hardware that already exists, you know, the, the Raspberry Pi platform and all the, the little uh, accessories you can get from Adafruit, they have a platform now that they can use Ubuntu Touch upon where they can do testing and so forth. And I think that's a pretty exciting thing. For about 150 bucks or so, you can build a Pi phone that doesn't require any soldering or any you know, higher skill level type activities just to get it going. And the, the code is out there on GitHub to download. Yeah, so this is, I think, great news just for Ubuntu Touch and open source phones that they have a, uh, a build for Ubuntu Touch that'll run on a Raspberry Pi, which a lot of us probably have in our, our desk drawers. So, you know, a few extra accessories and some, uh, some tinkering, and you could have a, maybe not a phone you would take out on the town because, you know, it wouldn't have a case and it'd be kind of, you know, a little ropey looking, but something that you can at least play with and, and start to learn and explore and, and maybe do some, some testing and do some bug reporting to help, help out the Ubuntu Touch team. Another topic on Destination Linux this week was the concern that some Fedora users have over GNOME software, including proprietary software in the results by default. Fedora, in particular, is very aware and conscious of free and open source software. It's one of the fundamental sort of tenets of Fedora itself is to run only free and open source software. And it's why when you run Fedora, if you're trying to do so as just sort of a general use desktop, you almost invariably have to use something like RPM Fusion to get codecs and to get access to software that includes 
patent encumbered codecs or other proprietary software. Um, for example, the version of Audacity that you get from the Fedora repos does not include the ability to decode MPEG audio. So if you record a video and you try to extract the audio from it using that Audacity version that's in the repo, you can't because it was compiled without that capability. So for someone like me that I, I absolutely have to do that, then I, I don't really have a choice. And so if you install the RPM Fusion repositories, then you have access to a different version of Audacity that does include that ability. So um, I, I get why people and particularly purists of Fedora would be upset or concerned, might be a better word, that proprietary software is being included by default. And honestly, I, I kind of agree with them. I, I sort of feel like Fedora has always been that way. And it's just the way that they operate. It's the way that they believe it should be delivered to the end user. And then it's up to the end user to take those extra steps to include other things if they want. So fundamentally, I don't really have a problem with this. And I think the people that are maybe overreacting to the fact that some people who do believe in that Fedora ideal being a little too concrete in their beliefs or inflexible, if you want to say that. But like I said, I, I just, I think it is, it is what it is. You either have that policy or you don't. You either say we only ship free and open source software or you say you don't. And then that's, that's a pretty fundamental change in my opinion. I would use the term maybe principled. They're very principled in what they believe can be on a computer. I, I understand, you know, they have the open source software repositories and they have the non-free repositories, at least in, in a lot of these older distributions like OpenSUSE or like Mandriva, Mandrake from back when. So I, I kind of grew up in my Linux life accustomed to that idea. But but I think in some ways, the principal nature of Fedora has kind of held them back in some ways of, 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 of broader adoption. And maybe that was what they wanted. Maybe maybe that's that's what they prefer. But it does seem a bit, to me anyway, that they're, they're concerned about GNOME software having proprietary software in there. It, it does seem kind of um, almost like wasted energy to be upset about that because no software isn't really targeted to that hardcore fedora user right i don't particularly care for software centers i mean i think they're good i like that i like the idea of them but for me i i prefer to install what i like to install from the command line and i'm guessing a large percentage of fedora users would be the same way and those that don't install things in the command line are probably not those hardcore fedora users anyway so it, it seems like a little bit like a the tail wagging the dog here on, on that concern, you know, from my perspective. Uh, I mean, I would say they've gotten to 31 releases and it hasn't seemed to um, damage them in any way, harm them in any way. And specifically, again, this is related to the inclusion of Flatpak and the fact that Flathub has proprietary software. Um, so it's not as though the repos themselves have proprietary software. It's not like they've decided to make that type of change. It's the inclusion of a third party that has opened up this avenue. But ultimately, like I said, it, it principled, sure, you could say that, but it's also sort of one of those fundamental foundational things that they've always believed. And in some ways, I think it would be a shame to see them change and go away from that because like it or not, and the fact that I do have to install RPM Fusion and I do have to use proprietary software and patent encumbered software in some cases, the fact that I have that choice really, to me, kind of renders the the argument of, well, it holds them back uh, somewhat moot simply because I know it's that easy to do. And then you could also make the argument, I guess, well, that's an extra step you'd have to take in our people going to know to do that. Fedora doesn't position itself as like a general desktop use system anyway. Um, they're pretty upfront about that. 
their audience, I believe this is why this is an issue, because their audience kind of accepts Fedora for what it is, believes in what it is, uses it for a specific reason, not just because it's another Linux distribution. Also on Destination Linux, talked about in the software spotlight, Bitwarden. Now we've talked about Bitwarden before, you and I, and in so doing, I've looked at how I'm I've been using or managing some other maybe more sensitive data, and I've I've moved a lot of things to Bitwarden from other ways that I've been storing the information. You know, ways that I probably shouldn't have been. And I have to tell you, in using Bitwarden more and more in my daily workflows of managing my my passwords and other sensitive information, uh, it, I, I've really enjoyed it. You know, I, I installed a snap on, on all my. OpenSUSE boxes. Yes, I installed a snap on all my OpenSUSE boxes. I said that correctly. And it runs really well on, on everything. The, the dark theme looks good. And it's made my life a lot more convenient. You know, one thing that I, I started using it for is, uh, you know, keeping like my driver's license and social security number stuff in there because sometimes I need it. Not just mine. I know my social security number, but like my kids and whatnot. So I have all these little like notes that I've kept elsewhere which I've gotten rid of to keep it on on Bitwarden, and it's been great for other things when I have to register for uh, for classes and so forth with my kids with the you know the, the school systems, and uh, it's just been really super convenient to have these those secure notes that you know I in some ways I'm like well, how how silly was I that I haven't done this sooner, and so I just want to say I really appreciate one you telling me to expand my usage of it, and also. I'm glad it was it was featured on, on Destination Linux as well. Yeah, and the only reason I really wanted to talk about this, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you're using it. I use it also for secure notes and things like that, mainly for servers and uh, things like that, that I, I need a centralized way to keep that information anyway, and I need to have it at hand whenever I need it. And I also want it to be encrypted and secure because I don't want just a text file somewhere or a written note somewhere. So yeah, having the ability to put all of that in one place and to have it be secure cure is fantastic. And that that's even a little bit beyond what you'd consider just a straight password manager. But all of the features of Bitwarden collectively to me have made my life so much easier over the last year and a half or so that I've been using it, that it genuinely surprises me oftentimes when people talk about password managers and they don't mention Bitwarden as an option. Um, you'll see other you know options mentioned, but it is pretty fantastic. And I just, for no other reason, just to make sure that people are aware that it's out there. The free version includes 90% of the functionality and the paid version, which is all of $10 a year, includes the timed one-time password functionality, which is fantastic. You know, if you can use two-factor authentication on any of the sites that you are using, it's just one more level of security. It's not perfect. Nothing is. But the fact that it's integrated so well, you don't have to go to a third-party application like, you know, Google Authenticator or some of the others that are out there. It's just baked right in and you fill in your username and password. You get to the next screen where it's prompting you for the the one-time key. It's already in your clipboard because Bitwarden put it there for you. You paste it in and you move on. And it really just simplifies all of it in a way that saves me so much time. And uh, and it's just a fantastic product. I mean, frankly, I think $10 a year is not enough. I wish that they would charge more. I, I just it, it concerns me when a company puts out a product that I feel is much more valuable than what they charge. And it's not like I'm an idiot and I want to overpay for things, but I see the value in it and how it I use it and I would gladly pay much more than $10 a year for that functionality, not only because I think it's worth it, but because I want to support that company and make sure that they're going to be around for many years to come. 
One of the goals of the Destination Linux Network at its inception, so when you know Ryan and, and Michael were, were thinking about this and putting it together, was they always wanted to give back. And part of that was creating a community and, and bringing people together. But also part of that was supporting charitable organizations and finding ways to give back. And so the first organization that was chosen is called Free Geek, and they basically will take used hardware that's donated from different people or, and organizations and recondition it and then donate it or provide it to people who need computers. And so it's obviously a, a great mission, not only because it's giving people access to computers that they might not otherwise have access to, but it's also keeping perfectly usable systems out of landfills that would otherwise likely just get thrown away. I know when I worked for a corporation, when a piece of equipment outlived its warranty period and useful life, a lot of times they didn't have a use for it. And if I didn't find a place to donate it to, it literally got thrown in the dumpster. So I love organizations like this. I love the mission. And I think it's a great choice. It fits very well with Destination Linux Network. You know, I wonder if down in the Nate cubicle, the super cubicle, if there would be any hardware that he'd be willing to part with. What do you think? I think there's a lot of hardware I should be parting with. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us for this episode of DLN Extend. Would like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord? Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators. The website is at destinationlinux.network. And for more information on where to find us, I am on DLN Discourse most of the time on the forum itself. And if you go to the Destination Linux Network website under the Creators section, you'll find me and all of my links to social media and other places that you can uh, get in touch. How about you, Nate? If you'd like more information on me, you can go to cubiclenate.com or to the destinationlinux.network site. You'll find links to my regular written blatherings, podcast, and uh, my YouTube content that I have put together. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extend. And until then, have yourself a fabulous week. See yous. Mm-hmm.